This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DM Guild affiliate links, and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for April of 2019. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club's episode, we will discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in a full book club style. And our book this time around is The Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin, Saladin Ahmed. He's, he's American, so um, it's probably not <laughs> overly... Uh, accented right um next month we're going to read norse mythology by neil gaiman which i think is is that our second or our third neil gaiman book at least the second because we read uh nazi boys nazi boys yeah yeah and i've read american gods but i don't i don't know that i don't think we read that for the for the book club so and in case people are wondering who that voice is uh the third voice that's eric paquette say welcome to eric Bonjour, hello um, and as I was saying, this uh, time we're going to be talking about The Throne of the Crescent Moon. It's the first novel by Saladin Ahmed and was published in 2012. It won the 2012 Nebula Award for Best Novel and the 2013 David Gamel Morningstar Award for Best Fantasy Newcomer. And it's a fantasy novel about a cast of characters set in a fantasy world based in the Middle Eastern culture, as opposed to, say, normal pseudo-European fare that fantasy often presents. It has a ghoul, old ghoul hunter, his dervish sidekick, a shape-changer from the wild parts of the world, a magic user, an alchemist, involves plots to take, take them from revolutionary leaders of thieves to the palace of the ruler of the city. So there's a lot going on in the book, I think. Is what there's I a lot say. going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. And it's a and it's a fairly short book for for so much going on. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get into that. Before we do, though, I want to uh, mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a game store that specializes in finding out of print products uh, while still carrying the latest and greatest. My pick for this month is Al Kadim Arabian Adventures. This is an old second edition D and D box set. Uh, that is steeped in a setting uh, that in many ways resembles this, the world from this book. It's a it's an Arabian sort of inspired setting, um, technically on the same planet as the Forgotten Realms, although they interact very seldom. Um, if you're inspired by our discussion of this book to maybe go out and run an Arabian-inspired game, um, Al-Kadim's a pretty good place to start. Uh, and so it's available for like $25 to $30, depending on which uh, quality of used product you want from Noble Knight. Look, here's the thing. Noble Knight has been supporting the Tome Show for a really long time now. They provide a great service. They'll sell you new products, but they specialize in finding old and out of print things. If you've got something that you want to buy, if you've got something you want to sell or get store credit for, Noble Knight is a great way to go. We've done a lot of crazy ads over the years to try to get your attention and let you know about Noble Knight. And if you don't know about them by now, you're not paying attention or you're a new listener. Welcome. I was just sitting here lamenting a dilemma dramatically. For old classic, new and shiny. And so the debate classic. continues since the dawn new of gaming. Shi- Hello. Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness, adventurers! We need a noble knight. Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? 
Noble Knight does. But just straight up, Noble Knight. They provide a great service. You need stuff. They got stuff. Old, new, all of it. Go check them out. Let them know the Tome Show sent you. For all your gaming needs, noblenight.com. And now on to the book for this month, Throne of the Crescent Moon. So, um, as a result of, of timing, uh, we planned on recording this episode three weeks ago or so. Um, is that right, or was it even longer than that? It would have been in end, end of April. Okay, so we planned on, on recording it at the end of April, and it is now um, the middle-ish of May. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a little while. Um, so we're going to try to remember this book as well as we can, having, um, having taken so much time off from it. Uh, so who can tell me a little bit about what this book is about? It focuses on... Well, mostly of the two characters, Dam Sawat, who is a no, sorry, well, Dam Sawat's the city. The city, yes. Uh, the doctor Abdullah Masnoon, who is a basically a ghoul hunter, and his uh, assistant, skirm- the skirmisher, the dervish, uh, Rasid Bas Rasid. They basically they go about in the, the town of Dam Sawat. Well. Yeah, and it kind of starts with them, but it quickly sort of adds on more characters and becomes an actual, almost like a, a full-fledged D&D party by the end of it, right? Yes. Uh, basically, they heard about the ghoul attacks. They go, as they tend to do, to go attack it. And that's when they meet up with a tribal girl known Zamia, who has shape-shifting lion powers. And then on top of it, they end up meeting uh, two healers, I think is, is fair to say. Um, one that's more of an herbalist and another one who can use magic to heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's fair. And they're a married couple that, that knows uh, the doctor from way back in the day. They yeah. used to adventure together, if you will. And so we already talked about that there's some ghouls. The other thing is going on in the city is there's this... Uh, Tension between the Falcon Prince and their current royalty. Um, the, the current leader is a bit of a tyrant and maybe like is doing awful things to people and to try to uh, enforce his rule. And then the Falcon Prince reminds me a lot of like a Robin Hood type character. Oh, right, a Middle Eastern Robin Hood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 it's worth noting that like. We talk about ghouls as being one of the primary sort of monsters of the the story, and I think that's fairly consistent. If this is ghoul without the O, right? G H U L, which is a, a fairly it's fairly consistent with, uh, as I understand it, sort of Middle Eastern legend and culture, um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean ghoul like the D&D ghoul although that is one of the kinds of ghouls but it comes in all kinds of like shapes and sizes and that kind of stuff is that, is that am I remembering that right that's what I remember too I mean basically yeah. the ghouls seem to be more of a variety of undead that they were right. facing off so uh, but it also involves a uh, at least one demon right the jackal headed demon creature um 
that you get sort of this this interesting backstory that it was you know this this horrible person back in the day that was sort of locked up and, and exiled in these ruins uh, and within those ruins sort of came upon some horrible magic that transformed him into this you know him you know that and his his sort of sins if you will uh, transform him into a uh, this jackal headed demon creature right yeah mawa right that's 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 the the demon's name which is different than the original person's name i actually i actually rather enjoyed the bit where um they did the research you know and they found out who where this thing came from and 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 what have you like mawawa was um was an interesting sort of uh, antagonist to me like it clearly wasn't the big bad and you knew it wasn't the big bad it was sort of the lieutenant right it was the sub boss before the boss fight yeah um but at the same time it was in my mind uh it was way more interesting than the than the boss boss right so um which is tough to which is tough to do when it sort of fits a stereotype of sort of it, it's kind of the the big dumb loyal uh lieutenant right but but it was an int- it was an interesting take on that on that stereotype yeah I think you're going to say something earlier, and I cut you off, Eric. No, uh, I was agreeing with you about the okay. yeah, the, the the multi-level leader, and but sometimes that happens usually for purposes of sometimes the, the lieutenant is much more interesting than the actual boss. And well, and I think the author was working really hard to try to make the the big boss a mystery and a big surprise at, at the end when it was revealed. Uh, and I and I get what yeah. he was doing and why, but at the same time, as a result, I found the villain way less interesting and nuanced. Yeah. You know, because because we didn't know anything about him. Yeah. You know? It was just sort of he pops up at the end and then they defeat him and it's over. Um. I found uh, uh, it's interesting to, you know, we talked about the different major characters and, and they are very much a D&D party. Um, D&D is sort of steeped in that pseudo-European uh, fantasy fair that was mentioned earlier in the ad or in the description uh, before the ad. And at the same time, I feel like I could almost put many of these characters into a D and D class. Like if I wanted to cre- recreate this party, I could just about do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it's not a huge surprise that given that it's centered around the middle East and it's steeped in sort of, um, Muslim culture, um, that, that it, there's a religious tinge to a lot of it. Right. Uh, ultimately, like I would have to call at least what two of the characters, if not three of them clerics. Right. Well, I would say uh, the dervish, Rasid Bas Rasid, is probably would fit on being a paladin of some sort. Yeah, I was thinking paladin or uh, or even ranger, just a, a highly religious ranger yeah. based off of the way he fights. Probably, I w- maybe a paladin which had a strange subclass that focuses more on dexterity and movement, which is different right. different than what the standard paladins are. Mm-hmm. So, and particularly but, where he, but, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, particularly where he does have that code thing going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't like call on div- divine powers or whatever. He's just strictly religious, right? Um, and then runs around with his dual what scimitars. Um, 
the then then the the doctor the main in my mind the main character um is is the ghoul hunter and and to my mind that he they translated a specific sort of build of cleric there that goes out and hunts undead right and specializes in that um he even does a thing in one of the early fights with a bunch of ghouls when i think it was the fight maybe where zamia first shows up he does a thing that reminded me an awful lot of turning undead yeah. Uh, but then I think the the healer, if you will, and his wife also the alchemist could also be considered clerics to a degree, right? Um, yeah. The, the go ahead. Oh, the doctor would probably be closer to an invoker, if which was in fourth edition, but in fourth edition days, yeah, yeah sure. But now. In fifth edition, then there's no really equivalent, but so except for cleric, so. Right. Well, and the other the other one, the the friend who's the healer, who uh, ha- I mean, his his magic is unique in that like um, it draws on his own life force. So he and his wife are are actually roughly the same age, but he looks significantly older than her because whenever he uses his magic to heal somebody, it draws out part of his own life force. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, so I guess I guess uh, the doctor is more of a blaster cleric, and then he's the healer cleric, and then um, you know, and then the alchemist was the one that I'm like, oh, you could sort of reskin a cleric to, to to fill in that gap, or you could you know find another way to do it. I think um, the only one that doesn't fit in well, I think, is Zamia. Zamia would would she be barbarian class, barbarian or ranger? I would say. Hmm. Maybe monk. I like the idea of going. Hmm. I mean, if you go barbarian and then reskin like the rage as when she turns into a lion. Yeah. Because I mean, the obvious is druid because she can turn into a, an animal, but she doesn't have like the the nature connection or the magic yeah. connection, right? Um. She just she's blessed by by her god and and. Uh, has the ability to turn into to a lion. Yeah, I, I have played in the past a halfling barbarian that when he rages, he becomes animalistic in personality, and that was the explanation of the rage. So you could flavor her rage as transforming into a lion. Mm-hmm. Tracy, you were gonna say something? Oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but one thing I did want to point out. Uh, because we are talking about how closely this matches up with a lot of D and D stuff, the author ha- is very interested. It has played a lot of D and D, and knows a lot of like D and D designers and stuff like that, and has definitely said that the D and D shit helped influence this novel. Oh, okay. See, I, I did not know that. Um, and apparently, there was even he was on the podcast on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast uh, talking about it a little bit too. Oh, I missed. I, I, I either missed it or I, or I just forgot about it. But cool. Um, and I do wonder. Like, it, I think you're right, though, that like, there isn't the magic element in terms of druid, but like the beast shape makes absolute, like, feels absolutely right in there. Right. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure um, how I would make Zamia <laughs> if I was. <laughs> If I was making her a D&D character, um, other than just make her a unique creature, I guess. Um, but yeah, so so I liked the characters. I liked a lot of what was going on. If I'm being honest, I had a hard time 
really getting into the story, but I think that had more to do with me than it did the story because I was in the middle of, of collecting data and then writing a dissertation. Uh, so my head was not in this space yeah. when I was listening to this book. Um, I was, you know, oftentimes distracted and thinking about other things that, that if I'm being honest, were way more important at the time. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm curious how you guys experienced it. Um, uh, you know, I, as I did a little bit of research, uh, and refresh my memory by reading some reviews and things online, um, the the conversation seems to be very firmly split. Like people seem to love this book or hate this book. And I'm curious how you guys experienced it. You want to go first, Eric? I was about to ask if you want to go first, too. <laughs> we just heard from Tracy. Let's start with Eric. Okay. I enjoyed from I enjoyed the book. Yes, the characters are fun. It is a fun, quick romp and felt like a D D novel, which since the author loves the and you you see those, but it is also different enough in style. Uh, it would probably fit, like the story would probably fit totally in Alcadim. Uh, one of my favorite my favorite characters was Rasid Bas Rasid, and his play and his certain positions that he put. Like what I fully remember is at one point he's trying to go and help someone who's injured arrives a place to get some herbs but uh the uh, government is has bought those herbs and they're the last one so he's basically struggling between his duty to the state and saving the life of someone mm-hmm. and it's that interplay was very interesting in the book uh from what i recall he it was being bought by the falcon prince Who's the Robin Hood character? And after talking, the Robin, the the Falcon Prince actually gives the the herb to Buzz Rasid and saves the person. But still, it was. But Rasid has to be okay with the fact that he is receiving what he knows for a fact to be stolen goods. Yeah. In order, in order to save this person's life. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and on and his whole like arc in a lot of ways was the the story of somebody who has really strict sort of um moral um you know beliefs and and positions and you know and 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 he lives in a world that he believes is black and white and it's and it's all about him sort of discovering that the world is not black and white so how are you going to be in that world where is your space in that world um, when you believed in black and white before, and now you're running into all these shades of gray. And then, meanwhile, his counterpart, um, his his um, you know the doctor who is um, you know he's kind of Rasid is sort of the sidekick to the doctor, right? Um, the doctor is really just all about like constantly like yeah that you know you and your high ideals, but but let's get real. Like yeah. clearly, the doctor is a religious person, but not like a stringent or a strict religious person at all. But he's channeling divine magic, if you will, to to do, you know fight ghouls. So yeah, and I so Trace, I, yeah, I was go gonna ahead. pick up like I'll, uh, the same thing that in terms of and now I only recently found out that the author is uh, big into D and D, but it felt very comfortable reading it in those way in that way. Like I didn't feel lost. Um, felt approachable and things like that. And it definitely was more about the, the gray that is in the world and the um, trying to make things make sense afterwards. So like mm. uh, I'm forgetting her name, the shape 
shapeshifter. Um, Zamia. 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 Yeah, she's like trying to figure out her her place in the world now that her tribe is gone, right? Her, right. Um, and what does it mean? And then does she create her own tribe? Does she not? And those sorts of things. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, we see that we. I also like the little peaks. Um, not quite behind the scenes, but particularly with the Falcon Prince, where it's like the the uh, the narrator is telling us a lot about what's going on. It's like now he has his bravado, and now he doesn't, and now he sounds surprised. And it's like it's clear that even right. though this is a character that comes off to everyone else as being, or most other people as being in charge and knowing what he's doing, he's he's playing a part. He is playing the part of the Falcon Prince. He's that's not necessarily him, and but he's trying to do it to for particular ends that are sometimes about his ego and sometimes about actually doing good in the world. <laughs> right. And he kind of, he's kind of introduced the Falcon Prince early on as sort of this, um, this Robin Hood character in, in the sense of like, he's the leader of a thieves guild or whatever. Uh, but as you discover more about him, it, it becomes clear that he's really more of a, of a revolutionary, right? He's more of a, right. of a, what, you know, a Che Guevara or whatever, trying to overthrow the establishment and, and all that. And it's not necessarily all good. And, and that was the interesting, that was one of the fun things I found in, in the book was when we meet the, uh, Prince, uh, I'm forgetting it. Khalif, the, the boy. Yeah. Um, Not the person in charge, but the, the son of the person in charge. Yes, yes. I forget what his name. Uh, I'm forgetting on his name right Because he, he kind of gets... And really- he had a very specific title. He was like the, the you know, revered whatever or something or other. But I don't remember exactly. Um, and the big part about that was they were expecting there to be... He to be very loyal to his father and having to convince him to go into exile so that the way he... So that way the Falcon Prince didn't have to try to kill him or something. And he's like, I will help you kill my father. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. it's like almost like the record scratch part. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, he's, and he's not an old... You know, it's not like he's hungry for the throne he's just like no my, my dad's a jerk and i'm ready to see him go and i'm hearing um, the stories about you oh falcon prince and you're <laughs> you're awesome yeah <laughs> so that was that was kind of interesting to me the one thing i will point out to folks and i know like maybe the i don't know if this helps people read it or not just there are parts that maybe are a little harder in terms of sensitive content around kids you know getting maimed or killed or stuff like that mm-hmm. um that was like a little hard at the beginning of the book but then mm-hmm. as it went on that stuff lessened and it became more of this uh character development and exploration mm-hmm. and the characters did develop i mean there's a lot of um D sort of um centered or similar sort of books that i feel like the characters are pretty static you know they they, they get and they and they oftentimes do that because they want to be the super popular. They you know they want to be telling the story of Drist or whatever for twenty eight books, and you can only have so much change uh, if you want to sustain that story for for that long. Right. Um, you know, but uh, I felt like this book wasn't afraid to sort. I mean, you definitely see an arc for Zamia. You see an arc for Rasid. I don't know. You see much of an arc for um, the Doctor, and we keep calling him the Doctor, like he's in Doctor Who. Um, well, but that's because I don't remember his, his first name. And when you say the Doctor, you mean the Ghoul Hunter. Yeah, the Ghoul Hunter. Yeah, yeah. but so but it, so his official his official title is uh, the Doctor, right? right. Or Doctor uh, Doctor Adula is is what he's called it's a it's a title of respect and and the big thing there is that he had worn this mantle of being the ghoul hunter 
for a long time and he he and the one thing that the recurring theme in there is that he gave up on his one true love because mm-hmm. he cannot be a ghoul hunter and be married and so he kept making excuses as to why why not now and then we do see at the and spoilers <laughs> at the end of the book he uh, ends up at her doorstep right well and and honestly like He's also, in many ways, uh, Dr. Abdullah, he, he's also um, a, a common stereotype of a character, right? Um, he is, uh, was it Danny Glover from, from Lethal Weapon, right? Where he's just a day away from retirement and he's way too old for this crap. You know, <laughs> you know? He's just, he just doesn't care anymore, but, he, but he, he's sort of thrown into it. Um, and so he reminds me a lot of that. And, and one of the things I liked about him, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a few months away from turning 40, uh, but I like the fact that he's, he's, he's an old out of shape guy who's just tired of this stuff, right? He's just exhausted and he wants to, to pass it on to somebody else. Uh, and he's hoping Rasid is that person, but Rasid is way too green and way too, you know, black and white in his thinking. And so he's, he's trying to develop him and get him ready to do that work. Yeah, because right now he's the only ghoul hunter in the entire city, and it's a big, huge metropolitan city, right? Um, and so the idea of, of retiring with nobody to take over is is not acceptable. Because who's going to take care of these threats? The throne will. All right, <laughs> right. It's what? The, it's what? Well, the throne. The throne will. Yeah. So ultimately, like. The Throne of the Crescent Moon is the title of the book, but you don't really get a strong sense of, of why until the end, right? Yes. Because and, and at the end of the... Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, you can go ahead. I was going to say, because at the end of the story, their, um, th- their, their machinations or whatever bring them to the, to the palace mm-hmm. um, and, and what have you. And, and so they're sort of infiltrating the palace. Um, and at the same time, just, I guess by coincidence, uh, the Falcon Prince is infiltrating the palace to overthrow, uh, the ruler at the same time. And, um, and then you discover that, um, the Falcon Prince is also kind of after the, the throne of the Crescent Moon, which is actually this older ancient relic. Um, what was it like? Or maybe maybe Throne of the Crescent Moon was the the ancient name, there, but it was a some it was another name, right? Was it a snake thing? Do I remember there being a snake theme? I think there is like cobra was, or something. Yeah. yeah, and so it was actually an old relic from a, from a, an, a bygone empire or whatever uh, that has highly magical properties, but but uh, people didn't even you know most people didn't realize it. Even the people who were regularly sitting on it didn't realize that it was this powerful. And and the night was that this was all going down was the night that it was going to sort of have the peak of its power. And the Falcon Prince wanted access to it in order to try to, try to you know um, liberate, if you will, well, uh, the the city. Well, and he yeah. he believes that they're um, so they had found this old scroll that had some information in it and had spent a lot of time and money to. Um, both of them independently had tried, spent a lot of time and money tried to decipher it, and it made it seem like there's a possibility that this throne had good powers in addition to potentially evil ones, and the Falcon Prince was convinced that he would be able to do what he needed to do and then use it for the power of good to, um, you know, 
change the course of the of the city um, away from the evil that he saw currently happening in it, like the tyrant stuff and things like that. Um, and <laughs> he gets surprised <laughs> during the the whole like uh, process or ritual of trying to get that power because he does not find the good that he thought he was going to find, but feels like he might still be able to bend it through sheer power of will on his side um, into making something better. Is that what you guys got from it too? Cause it was a little unclear to me exactly what was going on near the end. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean the whole, like from the moment you hit the, the palace infiltration to the end is sort of a whirlwind, right? It mm. kind of goes by really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, I was a bit confused myself of what was happening, and at the end, I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> lots of action, lots of fun. We'll need to process. <laughs> right. It can't be worse than what was currently there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the hard I suppose. part. And that's the hard part, too, right? Because I, that, I think in that part of the book, we're, we're getting the narration mainly from the point of view of the doctor, and some stuff happens off screen and then he sees it and then we kind of get what's going on. Um, the, the Falcon Prince ends up uh, biting or something or having the blood of the, the boy. Um, but that all happens off screen and we're told that the boy was okay with it because it was the only way to bring down, down his father and, and make things better and everything else. But we have no idea and no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little unclear to me if, if the Falcon Prince even fully believed it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's and that's fair. Like it's it all kind of flies by in, in a whirlwind and you don't get a much of a chance to sort of unpack it. And, and uh, there's not a lot of epilogue, I guess, to the to the to the story to figure out what happens. Although there's been talk of. Uh, or at least there seems to be some online chatter of a sequel, but so far as I can tell, there is not a sequel. Yeah, well, there is. Looking at Good uh, Goodreads right now, there is a thousand and one, which is a sequel, which is supposed to be expected. Publication date is listed as December thirty first, twenty nineteen. Okay. So, so soon, in theory, there will soon. be a sequel. Yeah. Um, and and I feel like. Like this is a uh, this is a book that one of the things that appealed to me is that it's a nice short read, right? Sometimes I just need a nice, easy, quick read to 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 get through, um, and and this was that book in a lot of ways. But at the same time, like there was a lot of stuff that, as a result, wasn't there. Like there's, it feels like there's a lot more backstory to the Doctor. Uh, and his his experiences prior to this, and how he you know his previous life as what was as a ghoul hunter, which to my mind is basically an adventurer, right? Isn't that basically what the job is? Um, you know, because it's clearly not this religious uh, order, because his his sidekick Rasid, who he's bringing up, and it is not the same sort of you know he's a completely different class, yeah. if you will, uh, put it in D and D terms. Uh, and he'd previously worked with uh, the um, the healer and his wife, and yeah. they were part of his adventuring party prior before. Um, 
So, so yeah, so I, like, I feel like there were opportunities or there were things that I wanted to know more about. I wanted to know more about him and their background and their history and their previous adventures. I wanted to know more about um, the throne and what it actually was and what it did and, and where it came from and, and some of that. I wanted to know more about the Falcon Prince. Like He was one of the more interesting characters, as Tracy pointed out, uh, and he wasn't sort of the, the one-note stereotype of Robin Hood. There was a, some more nuance going on with him. Um, but like, I didn't, you didn't get any of that story. <laughs> like I kind of wanted to know where, did, where, did he, where did he come from? What's this about? What's, you know, what, all that. So maybe some of that is developed in the sequel, but I feel like this book at, you know, under 300 pages, as I understand it, I, I listened to the audio, but, uh, as I understand it, it was under 300 pages, uh, in, in physical format. Um, and, and if it was, 350 pages maybe we could have gotten a little bit or, or even 400 pages we could have gotten a little bit more um depth into some of those areas possibly we'd be able to give you know but also i feel like he put it enough to entice you to want to know more about the world and the setting and like i i want to read a sequel i want to re- learn more about the his world the crescent kingdoms that he has created in a lap and so he's, he put enough in there to entice me for more. Hmm. Yeah, at the same time, I don't know if I want to wait seven years between books. Sure. <laughs> Maybe I'm just impatient and, and whatever. But, um, you know, if it's 2012 for the first book and it's not going to be till 2019 for the second book, like that's yeah. a that's a long stretch. And I'm looking at his, at some of his, uh, his other... Uh, things that he's been doing in the meantime yes. he's he's actually written a lot of comics it turns out he's written a lot of uh, marvel stuff so yeah. exiles and black bolt my, my first appearance my first time i read something from him was a spider-man comic that he wrote oh, there you he go. did a good job so so other thoughts i liked it <laughs> yeah. good yeah because again i wasn't in a good frame of mind to figure out if i liked it or not um, so I look forward to, you know, if the sequel comes out and we decide to give it a look, uh, I look forward to sort of giving this world a second look. Cause I think there's a lot of interesting things going on here, right? Definitely. I think the world is interesting. I think the characters were interesting. I just think the, the pacing on the story was, was a little bit weird. If that's, if that's fair. I agree with that too. Yeah. From what I recall, this was one of the books that was a part of the new appendix and in the uh, DMG, yeah, yeah, yeah I, th- I believe that's how we um, described it when in the last yeah. episode when we discussed. Yeah. So it is an appropriate book to have in that as inspiration for D and D. Yep, and I think there's a lot of inspiration there for D and D. I think there's a lot of and, and, and like like we said, it's it's basically a classic D and D party with if, as long as you accept that Zamia doesn't fit a class very well and it has a preponderance of clerics. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense for the setting, yeah. I suppose, you know, so. And why they were very scared of ghouls, <laughs> because on one hand, sure, they can heal everything, but on the other, they don't have a good hitter. Well, and and also it's worth noting that while the, the healer can heal whatever happens, um, you know, t- t- within reason, because they had a heck of a time healing Zamia at one point, um, uh, the the healing is not without a cost because it drains his own life force and ages him as he does it. 
Uh, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like the the old um, second edition haste spell, where every time you were the subject of the spell, it aged you a certain number of years. It's like that, except for every spell and for the caster, not the not the person affected by it. Right, or like yeah. Dark Sun. Uh, a little bit, yeah. For uh, for Zamia, another option for her for purposes of D and D is make her the race of the shifter race that they have for Ebron. Mm-hmm. I thought of that. That we all. Yeah, that's another way. And it's a little, it's a little different yeah. than that, right? So I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to think on yeah. her a little bit. I think. I, I you know I, I I think I really like the idea of barbarian that's skinned as she turns into a lion when she shifts, but it's all uh, natural attacks, right? So um, I, I would I would totally work with a player who wanted to do something like that and just sort of um, tweak an existing barbarian build or something. So or like you said, even a monk because it's all nice. unarmed attacks. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and and I also enjoyed that like there was a there was a sort of uh, homage or hint to as much as this is like giving us a different flavor than, than typical pseudo European fantasy. There was sort of a, an homage to that at, at the same time, because when they were discussing, uh, Mawawa, the, the jackal headed demon creature and how to defeat it or whatever, there was this conversation at one point when they were doing the research of, Oh, you may have heard from other parts of the world about these like werewolf creatures and how, how silver can be used to defeat them and what have you. Um, you know, that's going to be the key to defeating Mawawa. Uh, so they almost sort of implied that Mawawa is a unique uh, werejackal, if you will. Um, and that's the type of creature he actually was, although clearly he had these sort of shadow things going, powers and things going on too. Um, you know, and, and that's why in her lion form she could hurt him because um, the the description that she got you know from from her divine blessing of of being able to shape change into a lion was that her her claws were like the the silver of of heaven or something like that you know and so um, they were effectively silver weapons that allowed her to attack you know this were jackal creature so I yeah I, I found that that whole I found the, all that characterization and that villain to be particularly uh, interesting and uh, and unique. So, all right, chance for last thoughts. None. Then we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. It's time to say goodbye. We want to say thank you to Noble Knight uh, for sponsoring this episode, as well as all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, as well as those of you who shop at Amazon and DMs Guild using our affiliate links available at thetomeshow.com. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call our biz line, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find me on Twitter at SarahDarkMagic or at SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, and at The Tome Show, on, both on Twitter. And you can find Eric at Eric M. Pack. And that's Pack with a Q. And Eric with a C. <laughs> <laughs> and show notes and our other great shows can be found at thetomeshow.com. All right. Well, I think that's our thoughts on Throne of the Crescent Moon. Next up in June. June, not March. 
which is what I have in the script. But next up in June, uh, we are going to be reading Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Uh, until then, keep turning the page, Thomites. I'm on the wall.